Well, I'm joking. While they're taking, uh, I do have a couple of announcements while they're taking the offering and they're about the chili cook-off. So just really quick about the chili cook-off. Right after church, you need to make sure that um, if, you are, if you're a chili cook, leave immediately after church. If you're picking up your kids, leave immediately after church. And if you're going home and you don't like chili, leave immediately after church. The rest of us, we need to give them 10 minutes to set up. So just hang out in here, fellowship, tell me about how bad the sermon was, whatever you want to do while they're doing that, okay? So those three people, if you're a chili cook, you got kids, or you don't like chili and you're leaving, you guys leave right after church. The rest of you just hang out eight to 10 minutes here. Also, one more thing about, some, you know, normally Grace Life is a very humble, uh, people are, you know, selfless in a lot of things, but this chili cook-off has unearthed some character flaws in our church. <laughs> So before church, I've had like almost every chili cook say, number four, number 13, number 11. Like I have power over who's going to win. I don't. But you're lobbying me for the win. That's just not godly people, okay? You should be thankful that God allowed you to make chili for, your, for his people. But I will let you know which one was the best either way. <clears throat> All right. We're continuing with our series in Joshua. We have one, maybe two messages left in this series, and we're done with Joshua. Some of you thought it was going to take a year. It didn't. It only took half. Okay? And we're going to start James in a couple of weeks. Yeah, you say that now. You say it now. Just wait. Just wait. I'm studying now, and it's not been fun. All right. This week, the message is called A Monument for Renewal. Have you ever... Have you ever missed an exit on I-75, driving to a destination you've been to a thousand times before? Somehow you get distracted and you just blow right by it. You're not using the GPS with the annoying female voice that... I'm not talking about wife female voices. We love it when they tell us how to drive. That's good stuff. I'm talking about the GPS voice, okay? You're not listening to it, you know, where it says turn in 200 feet. You're not paying attention, and you just blow right by the exit. Three weeks ago, I was driving home on 75, and I just blew right by Clark Road. You know, that's like a 10-mile mistake. You understand that, right? There's no roundabout in the... You just got to... Why did I do that? I wasn't paying attention. I know, shocker. I was talking on the phone, and I missed all the signs. Clark Road, two miles. Clark Road, one mile. Clark Road, half a mile. Clark Road now. I just blew right by them. I flew past it. I caught a glimpse of the exit 205 sign in the corner of my eye right when I'm passing, and I yelled out words of righteousness and thanksgiving <laughs> and praise in the car. <clears throat> it's just me, right? You guys never do that? You people are perfect, right? You never miss a turn, an exit, you never lose your way. We've all done that. Missed an exit, made a wrong turn on a familiar route. It's part of being human. Has that ever happened to you as a Christian? You really want to follow the lamb wherever he goes, but you are drawn for some reason by something to a different path. Something in the world distracts you from the signs all around you to stay the course. Maybe something wounds you in the world, hurts you. Something tempts you or, or lures you, and you lose your way, and you lose sight 
of Jesus who you're trying to follow. The fact is, even though Jesus has done so much for us and promises to do more, we are still, in spite of all that, prone to wander. Just when you think you have following Jesus completely figured out, you miss an exit. You take a wrong turn. Suddenly you realize you have gotten off the path of righteousness and you ask yourself, how did I get here? The fact is, we regularly need markers, monuments, to remind us of the path that we should keep. And that's today's message. I want to look at the history of our passage today. I just want you to see that Israel wasn't listening. So last week we talked about how Joshua was trying to teach the next generation what they should do. And perhaps maybe a year, maybe a little more, maybe two years later, it seems like the Israelites are still wandering from what Joshua taught them in chapter 23. So Joshua gathers all the elders and all the leaders and all the people. He gathers them once again, this time at Shechem. And this was significant because Shechem is the place where Abraham, generations earlier, had built his very first altar to God in Genesis chapter 12. So Joshua says, well, they're not remembering. Maybe if I take them back to where it all began. This was the place where God first made his promises, his covenant with Abraham. So this place, Shechem, where he's gathered all the elders and all the tribes and everyone together, this place is special. And this time, Joshua's message is directly from God. The first time, it was Joshua saying, listen, I'm trying to warn you. This time, Joshua says, this is what God told me to tell you today. So that really got their attention. Now Joshua is taking the role as prophet. God spoke through Joshua, and he reminded Israel of his faithfulness to them. God reminds them once again of all the stories of his grace and his mercy, starting with Abraham, going to Isaac, and to Jacob, and to Esau, and to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, and then about the crossing of the Red Sea, how he defeated the Amorite kings for them beyond the Jordan, the story of Balaam and the wilderness, and all the things, and all the things in the promised land. God reminds them that he gave them land in Canaan. He gave them land they didn't earn. Cities they didn't build. Vineyards they didn't plant. He just gave it all to them. He's done everything he promised. And more. Yet for some reason you, Israel, still forget and you wander and you fail to follow my commandments with faithful hearts. And even though God warns them of the dangers of letting the Canaanites continue to influence them with their immoral lifestyles, they forgot and they didn't listen. They continued to make the very mistakes that Joshua had warned them about in chapter 23. And they actually start worshiping the gods of the nations God defeated for them. Some, get this now, some of them, do you remember the story about how Moses in the wilderness and they come out of Egypt and he goes up on the mountain, you know, to talk to God and they start building a golden cow and worship it? Do you remember that? Some of the nation of Israel even returned to worshiping that stupid golden cow. The one their grandparents made in the wilderness. Why would Israel wander so easily? 
Why would they be so foolish? Why would they be so short-sighted to worship gods of nations that their God had already conquered for them? After all God has done, how could they take this wrong turn towards the immoral lifestyle of the Canaanites? Why would they go back to worshiping the gods their grandparents did? They need to get back on track. They need to start fresh, which brings us, that was chapter 24, verse 1 through 13 that I just summarized for you. Let's read chapter, four, chapter 24, verses 14 through 28. Therefore, fear the Lord. This is, this is Joshua talking to them after God has warned them. Therefore, fear the Lord. Serve him sincerely and faithfully. Forget the gods your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. If you don't want to serve the Lord, then choose this day who, who you serve, either the gods of your fathers, the gods of the Amorites, in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The people answered, we will not forsake the Lord to serve other gods. It's the Lord who brought us and our fathers out of Egypt to the house and out of the house of slavery, who did great signs in our sight, preserved us as we went among all the peoples we fought. The Lord drove out the Amorites. This is the nation of Israel talking now. The Lord drove out the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord Joshua with you, for he is our God. But Joshua responds, nah, you're not able to serve the Lord. Wow. For he is a holy and jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins if you forsake the Lord to serve foreign gods. He will turn and judge you after having done you good. The people responded, no, we will serve the Lord. Hear what's happening here. We're going to serve God. No, you won't. You're going to do the same thing you've always done. No, 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 we mean it this time, Joshua. Then Joshua responded, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen to serve the Lord. And they said, we are. We are witnesses. And he said, then get rid of your foreign gods among you. Incline your heart to the God of Israel. The people said to Joshua, the Lord our God we will serve, and his voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and put in place statutes or rules for them at Shechem. And Joshua wrote these rules, the words and their promises. He wrote these words in the book of the law of God. He took a large stone and set it under the tabernacle next to the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said, Behold, this stone shall be a witness against us, for it has all the words the Lord has spoken to us. It shall be a witness against you if you deal falsely with your God. In other words, if you wander again or don't keep your promises. So Joshua sent everyone away to his inheritance. Now this story has a little bit of good and bad, right? It's, it's good because there's a restoration, but it's bad because your own words will condemn you if you break your promise. I want you to see here what happens. Joshua builds a monument. He gives them a choice. He draws a line. You know, some churches are trying to do this by drawing circles. But it's very clear in Scripture there is a line. Jesus is not a way. He is the way. You can't, and Jesus, Jesus is not part of all world religions. Jesus is God, and it's the gospel. There's no circles. There's only lines, and that's what Joshua does. He draws a line, something many are afraid to do today when it comes to the gospel. Israel, you say you want to serve God, but you can't because you're too distracted by these other gods. You keep taking the wrong exit. Choose who you will serve. If you don't want to serve God, that's cool. 
pick your favorite false god. You've got a ton of them to choose from. You do you. But if you really want to serve God, you will need to get rid of all your fake idols and drive those people out of the land. But as for my house, my family, we know who we're serving, who we've always served. We will serve God. And Israel really means it this time. They say, no, 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 we will serve God. We want to be faithful this time. So they get back on track. They choose to serve the Lord again. And so with Joshua, they all in community together, not as individuals, but as a community, they make a covenant, a new one. And Joshua reteaches them what obedience will look like. This is like the third time he's taught them the law. There's no halfway. You're either all in or all out. So he builds this huge stone monument at Shiloh with both their instructions and the promise they made to keep them engraved on this stone monument. So that's the history. Let's look at the spiritual or the theological side. I want you to see that there is this, throughout the Old Testament, there's actually, with the, with the nation of Israel, there is this cycle of wandering. Sound familiar, by the way? Israel's history is actually filled with these frustrating cycles of committing and forgetting and wandering and then returning and then forgetting again and wandering. And it's just repeatedly over and over again. And when they did come back, it was usually with a big national gathering. There was repentance and they, guess what, would build these massive monuments. As a matter of fact, I've given you the examples. First, I want you to see the first one. They build a monument at Mount Sinai in Exodus 19 through 24 about their new commitment to God. And then under Moab, there was another a monument when a recommitment after they had wandered in Deuteronomy chapter 29 and 30. Then again, they did it. We studied this one at Gilgal. Do you remember that story? In Joshua chapter 5. And then they did it again at the very first Passover, after they cross over the Jordan and they're in there, and they do their first ever Passover in, in the Promised Land. They built a monument there, remember? And then our favorite one, right? They built a big monument at Mount Ebal in Joshua 8. That was great, right? That was, that was a good one. Mount Lockwood Ridge, Mount Ebal, that's where we get that from. <laughs> and then they, we see they did it here at Shechem, Joshua 24. They did it again later on under King Asa after the nation had grown apostate and, and wandered from God. In, uh, so, right, uh, in 2 Chronicles 15, they built another monument to their restoration with God. They did it under King Jehoiada in 2 Kings chapter 11, verse 17. They did it again under King Hezekiah in 2 Chronicles chapter 29 through 31. They did it again under King Josiah in 2 Kings 23. And then 2 Chronicles 34, the same story is told. They did it again in Nehemiah chapter 8 through 10 with Nehemiah and Ezra. This goes on a lot. That's a lot of monuments to restoration, isn't it? They're all over the country. That's not even all of them, by the way. That's just the big ones that they probably could sell tickets to. <laughs> they would make these promises to God and then break them, and then repent, and then commit, and then wander, repeat, and rinse. After all God had done, was doing, and continued to promise to do for them, why couldn't Israel just be faithful like, like we are? 
Israel's constant cycle of wandering reveals how God's people, no matter what age they're in, God's people need desperately constant reminders about his goodness. Now you would think this would be frustrating to our God, right? These people, there they go again. But you know, it doesn't surprise God that we constantly wander. In fact, God actually, when his children wander, nothing actually thrills the father more than when we come home. It's one of his favorite things. When Israel wandered, there was always this long list of laws and ceremonies to perform for their restoration. But not us. This is the beauty of the new covenant through Jesus that he has made with his church through the work of Christ on the cross. Our path home is so much easier. What Jesus did on the cross creates a far superior restoration process than what our Old Testament brothers and sisters had to endure. Jesus did away with the temple sacrifices, the need to build stone monuments. He did away with this reliance upon a priesthood. He wiped all of that out at the cross. Do you remember when Jesus told the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15? Do you remember how the story recounts the joy of the father that he, he saw what looked like his son coming from hundreds of yards away and he started rejoicing right away before the son was even, the son was thinking, oh my gosh, I'm coming back to my dad. I'm in shame. I, I messed up. I hope he receives me. And when the father sees him coming far away, the father says, get the calf ready. We're going to have a party. My son is returning home. Luke 15 verse 7, look at this. This is at the end, in that parable, right? This is at the end of the parable in Luke 15. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents and over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. God loves the story of his wandering children who blow by their exit coming home. He loves it. In fact, Heavenly Dad loves it so much when a wanderer returns home he makes the map very easy to read. 1 John 1, 9, look at this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness after we build a big monument. No, it doesn't say that, does it? Hmm. Through the cross, our Jesus has made his chosen people righteous even though we still wander all the time. And when we do wander, instead of old man Joshua, it's the Holy Spirit that calls us, reminds us that, hey, you don't belong to yourself, you belong to him. And the Spirit, that same Spirit, begins to reveal in his followers, in those whom he has saved, those whom he has called and chosen out of darkness into light, the Spirit reveals, reveals exactly where we went wrong. Where we took the wrong turn reminds us of what Jesus has done and he guides us, his chosen, back to inside his flock. The Spirit gives us this gift and it really is a gift of sorrow over our sin. And he gives us the miraculous gift of obedience in confession and then a supernatural desire for repentance. 
So while our pattern of wandering is really the same, if not worse, than Israel, our path to restoration, as you can see through Jesus, is so superior. Okay, personal section. I want you to see how Jesus has built us a monument. This was the sermon preview this week. Jesus knew you would need a monument to remember how to get home when you wander. Boy, Israel loved building their monuments. The monuments to restoration. It kept them mindful of the need for faithfulness. You know, we, the church, also desperately do need a monument to God's faithfulness and restoration with the Father. Jesus has built us a monument. Do you remember the night when Jesus was celebrating the Passover with his disciples the night before he was to die? Remember that story? Do you remember how somber Jesus was? You know, it wasn't just because he was about to die a very brutal death. That's not why he was somber. He also carried a very heavy burden for what those closest to him were about to endure and the failures they would experience. Judas was about to give in to the evil one and exchange his loyalty to Jesus for money. By the way, have you ever faced that temptation? We're no better than Judas. Peter, who Jesus said, you are the rock on which I'm going to build my church. Peter, out of fear, would end up before the morning denying he even knew Jesus three times. Brave Peter, who chopped off a soldier's ear. I don't know this man. Expletives. <laughs> Jesus even warned Peter about how this would happen. And he says, Peter, listen to me. Satan has asked for you. He wants to destroy you. But even Peter forgot about the warning, just like Israel did, just like we often do. What about the rest of the disciples? Many times Jesus told them, look, I'm going to die, but don't worry. In three days, I'll rise again and I'll build a new temple. He taught them this over and over and over, but they never got it. And like Israel, the disciples had also witnessed Jesus do incredible things, right? Raising of the dead, feeding of the 5,000, and then feeding of 3,000 again, depending on who you talk to. So like two big feedings, like what we're getting ready to do here. He had proved over and over again by his power over demons and over the world. He had proven that he was God. He was proving the whole time that his promises of what he was going to do about his death and resurrection, that he could be trusted and when the time came, though, just like Israel, the disciples failed to trust what Jesus said, despite witnessing his power like they did over, like we do, over and over and over again. Like Israel, they too wandered. They ran in fear. They were ready. Get this now. This is crucial. They were ready to abandon both Jesus and their calling in the kingdom of God. They took a really bad exit. In fact, did you know, if you remember the story, they were ready just a few days later, they were ready just to return to their old jobs. They were ready to turn to their old, pointless, empty lives that they lived before they met Jesus. I'm just going to go back to what I used to do. This following Jesus thing did not work out. He's dead, he's not coming back. They were ready to end it all. 
just like Israel, just like us, they failed, they faltered, and they scattered in compromise and in fear and in self-preservation. Their collective abandonment and betrayal are very emblematic, are they not, of our same propensity to constantly forsake God's divine love? Our Jesus knew his apostles would need a powerful moment after that night to remind them, to help them find their way back to him. Jesus knew we, the church, would need to constantly recommit ourselves. He knows that you, I, we are prone to wander. Jesus knew following him would be very hard for humans because evil tries to make his church wander unfaithfully all the time, so he built a monument. But this monument was way better than any stone monument. It's lasted all the stone monuments Israel built. They're all gone. This one is still here. His people could rebuild this monument anytime, anywhere they gather. In fact, building this monument became one of the commands that Jesus told his disciples in the Great Commission. Go into all the nations and teach everything I observed him. This was one of the things he taught them, is it not? They were to teach the church that each time that they built this monument right here to remember what Jesus had done for them. And the apostles, by God's grace, found their way home and faithfully taught the church how to build this monument, so much so that it has become our monument right here today. But it's different from Joshua's it's not a monument about us keeping our promises. This is beautiful. It's about Jesus keeping his. Isn't that awesome? It's a monument to what Jesus promised, how at the cross he died for us and he conquered death and he rose again to take us to new life. This monument reminds us our standing with God, our standing with God isn't based on our strength, our ability to keep a list of rules. It is based upon Christ's finished work on the cross. That, mo that monument is the Lord's table. Because dear Grace Life family, just like Israel, as much as we want to follow the Lamb wherever He goes, we are so weak. We are so prone to wander and blow by our exit. And we often need, am I right, we often need to find our way back. Sometimes in little ways, sometimes in really big ones. Many idols will cause us to wander. Many idols will demand your allegiance. Many idols were very good at causing you to forget about what Jesus has done for you. Money. Immorality. Resentment. Bitterness and revenge for people who have hurt you. Relationships can cause you to forget. It's a, honestly, it's a miracle we can be faithful at all. Let's, be, let's just be real. What are we doing? 
It's good to be reminded on a regular basis how easy it is for us to lose our way because we will forget. Are you like Israel? Are there temptations in your life causing you to forget the goodness of God's grace? That's why we too need a monument. A monument to God's grace that reminds us that Jesus keeps us faithful. Let me say that again. This monument reminds us that Jesus keeps us faithful. It is not ourselves. Now, just like there were serious warnings written on Joshua's monument, our monument has a serious warning too. Look at this, 1 Corinthians. Look at this one. This is pretty serious. Whoever eats bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread, of bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Okay, Joe, explain that one to me. What does it mean? Because we're about to partake in the monument. There's a warning here. What does it mean? It's a warning to remember what this monument is about. It's not a warning about a checklist for you. Here's what this warning is telling you. When you come to this monument, you better remember your righteousness is not your own. It is Jesus' righteousness put on you. Follower of Jesus, this monument reminds us that you, we, are completely reliant upon what Jesus has done for us. It's about remembering that we are prone to wander. It's about humility before God and before one another. That's why I talked about reconciliation a few weeks ago. Because you know what reconciliation really is? It's putting the death pride and embracing humility. That's what recognizing we're prone to wander is. It's putting to death our pride and recognizing how desperately we need the righteousness of Jesus. You know, some people think they don't need to be reminded. They believe they've come to a place, and there is a doctrine going around like this, and it's actually starting to grow in our town, which concerns me. There are some people that believe they've come to a place in life where they just don't really sin much anymore. Yo, you've missed your exit, man. <laughs> just telling you. Like unreconciled resentment, that type of arrogance has no place at this table. Anyone who comes to this monument without complete humble reliance upon the gospel and the cross, listen to me. Anyone who comes to this monument without complete reliance upon the gospel and the cross has no place at this table. Your confession and repentance, that part, that isn't even your own. It's all through Jesus. Follower of Jesus, do you want to come home today? Do you want forgiveness, righteousness, restoration? Are you joyfully, fully reliant upon what Jesus has done for you? Then today, you are one who is welcome to this monument to celebrate this precious thing that Jesus has built for us brand new today. You are invited to this monument today to be reminded of what Jesus did for you at the cross and to find your way home.
Yeah, you better get started. It takes a minute. So, by the way, Paul was not there for the Last Supper. Paul wrote this, but Paul was taught by guess who? The disciples who needed to find their way home. And so in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, just as I was taught, I'm teaching you. And here's what he says. Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread, he gave thanks, and then he broke it. He said, this is my body which is for you, do this in remembrance of me. Dear Jesus, as we partake of the first part of this monument, we remember how desperately we needed what you did on the cross. Thank you that you gave your body to be broken for us. And then Paul went on in verse 25. He said, after supper, in the same way, he took the cup, saying, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Dear Jesus, we thank you for the blood you've shed for us. And we remember, as we celebrate this monument today, that it is through your body and blood. There's one more slide for you to see today. Look what Paul wrote. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. You know, let me just translate that for you. You are proclaiming to the nations the gospel, the Great Commission. That's the beauty of this monument. Dear Jesus, we are desperate without you. We are hopeless without you. We have no confidence in our own righteousness, even, our own, even in our own confession or repentance. We come to this table, we come to this monument fully reliant upon the power of what you did on the cross and through the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, there are those here today that they didn't even realize they had missed their exit but you have enlightened them. You have shown them that they needed salvation. They needed restoration. They needed forgiveness. Lord, thank you that through this monument, you remind us where we get that from. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thank you, Jesus, for this monument. And we do it today in remembrance of you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Chili cooks, go.